Good morning. So, as Earl already said, today is our last Sunday in Ecclesiastes. This is our seventh, seventh week in the Old Testament wisdom book uh, of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to be ending on a high note. Several times over the last seven weeks, I've emphasized that Ecclesiastes can be depressing, right? Uh, it reminds us uh, relentlessly that we are going to die over and over again. You're going to die. You're going to die. Uh, it reminds us that the world is often unjust. It reminds us that not long after we die, most of what we've done is forgotten. Our lives are forgotten. All of our hard work and toil amounts to vapor. And yet, the book of Ecclesiastes is not a call for us to despair. In fact, sprinkled throughout it are seven different passages that actually encourage us to enjoy life. If you've been following along in your own Bible as I've been going through this series, you may have noticed these passages and you may have wondered, why isn't Ryan talking about these at all? And the reason is because I've wanted to save them for the end. So, here we are. Uh, here's an example. This is chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Here's another, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Or chapter 8, verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. So I actually took all seven of these positive passages throughout Ecclesiastes, and I went through them and I made a list of all the things that they encourage us or command us to do. So you ready for this? Here it is. Eat. Drink, find satisfaction in work, be happy, do good, eat, drink, find satisfaction in work, enjoy work, eat, drink, find satisfaction in work, enjoy wealth and possessions through God's enabling, enjoy life, eat, drink, be glad, eat with gladness, drink with a joyful heart, enjoy life, do your work the best you can, enjoy all your years, be happy, be joyful, follow the ways of your heart. Now maybe you're not surprised by that list, but for a lot of people, this is not something they expect to see in the Bible enjoy my life? Really? Is that something that God actually cares about? Yes. Believe it or not, he does. One of the most common commands throughout the whole Bible, I've actually heard this is the most common command, I don't know for sure, one of the most common commands is rejoice. And we probably hear that word rejoice and we think of a bunch of old people singing old songs, 
But the word rejoice literally means celebrate, appreciate, enjoy, be happy. Now, I realize that if some people say to you, be happy, rejoice, it can be annoying because it can seem like they're being naive, right? You might want to say to them, you don't know what it's like. You don't know how hard my life is. Don't tell me to be happy. But the author of Ecclesiastes is not naive, right? If he's anything, he's not naive. He knows how hard life can be. He knows how unfair and unjust it can be. And he knows how fleeting it is. And yet, he says, you know what's the best that you can do? Enjoy. Be happy. Eat a good meal. Take delight in this vaporous life that God has given you. Over the last week, I've been reflecting on these seven positive passages in Ecclesiastes, and I want to offer us a list of some things that we can learn, some practical applications. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. Appreciate the simple things. Appreciate the simple things. As I'm sure you notice, over and over again, the teacher encourages us to eat and drink with joy and gladness, right? Now, we've talked about over the last few weeks how the teacher is disillusioned with a lot of things, right? He's disillusioned with the search for fame and fortune. He's disillusioned with the search for perfect knowledge and trying to solve the impenetrable mysteries of the universe. He's disillusioned with government and with legalistic religion. But you know what he's not disillusioned with? Food. Of all the things that he could encourage us to enjoy, the thing he emphasizes the most is the most simple and ordinary thing of all, right? It's the thing that's so simple and ordinary that you need to do it just to, to survive, right? And the teacher says, appreciate and enjoy this simple, ordinary thing. Receive it as a gift. And I think there's a principle here that we can extend beyond just food and drink to other simple, ordinary things. If you really want to enjoy life, don't worry about trying to climb the social ladder. You know, don't try to worry about attaining fame and riches. Don't try to be uh, so focused on, I need to make a name for myself, right? Get your pleasure out of savoring the simple joys of life. Food, the sky, the sound of rain, the smell after the rain, the way the light comes in through the window in the morning, a cup of coffee, a walk, a good book, a good movie, conversation with friends. Joy is found in the simple things. In chapter 11, verse 7, the teacher says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. So once again here, the teacher is talking about enjoying life by enjoying something very simple and ordinary, right? Light, the sun. This verse reminds me of when it's uh, early in the spring and you go outside and for the first time in months you feel the warmth of the sun on your face and, and you kind of bask in its glow and you just feel good to be alive, right? And, and the teacher is saying it's in those simple things 
that life's sweetness is found. But some of us have a lot of trouble recognizing that, right? Some of us always think that true happiness is going to be found somewhere in the future, just around the corner. We think it will arrive when we get that promotion or when we finally start making X amount of money. When we're kids, we think we'll finally find happiness when we stop being kids. And then we think, well, I'll finally find happiness when I have kids. And then we think I'll finally find happiness when the kids go away. <laughs> but the teacher's words here should remind us, don't make your happiness dependent on those future events. Appreciate the simple things now. Enjoy your life now. Here's a little bit of a confession. For a period of time in my own life, from, say, uh, college until my late 20s, I often felt a contempt for what you might call the ordinary life. Uh, what I mean is I felt like ordinary life wasn't good enough. I felt like I should be doing something truly great, something exceptional, you know, something that people would talk about for decades after my death. And I would get melancholy sometimes because I felt like I ought to do something extraordinary, but I don't know what it is. And I felt like I was running out of time to figure out what it was, what that extraordinary thing was. And I know that not everybody is like me. If anyone knows about the Enneagram, I'm a four on the Enneagram, so don't judge me, okay? Uh, but <laughs> we, we, want, we want to feel like we're exceptional, right? But at some point something started to shift in me, and I started to realize the beauty of the ordinary life. The beauty of just having a job, making dinner, going to the grocery store, putting down roots, having a schedule. And what I was starting to realize is what the teacher says here, that nothing is better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in our work. Really, nothing is better than the ordinary life. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that God never calls us to do extraordinary things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't shoot for the stars and try to do great stuff. But what I'm saying is this. Our enjoyment of life should not depend on whether or not we are doing something exceptional. Nothing wrong with pursuing exceptional goals, but if we cannot appreciate the simple things in life, the ordinary things, we are never going to be happy, whether we achieve exceptional things or not. That's where life's sweetness is. That's where the joy is. So learn to appreciate the simple things. Learn to be grateful for the things that we so easily take for granted. That's the first lesson in the positive passages. The second lesson is learn to find joy in work. I'm sure you noticed that gets emphasized a lot over and over again. Learn to enjoy your work. Here's something interesting. The verb that gets translated from the Hebrew as take satisfaction, that is actually the same verse that's used in Genesis when God creates the world and he looks at it and he sees that it is good. Same verb, take satisfaction, he saw that it is good. It's the same Hebrew word. 
Hopefully you remember that in Genesis, right? As God is creating the different parts of the, of the world, he looks at it each step along the way, and it says that the Lord look and he looked and he saw that it was good. God takes satisfaction in his work. He takes satisfaction in creation. And, and what the teacher is saying here is that one of the best things that we can do in life is to have that kind of experience, that kind of experience that mirrors God's experience in the act of creation. It's the experience of doing some work, reflecting on that work, and then going, that was good. That was good. Do you have that experience in your life at all? You don't need to sculpt the David in order to have it. You know, you can get it just from mowing the lawn or from cleaning up the kitchen. Maybe you have the kind of job where you get to the end and you feel like, I don't have anything that I can look at, any results that I can take satisfaction in. But if that's the case, you can still take satisfaction in the work itself. You can choose to feel good about the fact that you put in some hours today, you did the best you could with the job that you had, you provided a service, and if you did, take satisfaction in that. That's one of the best things in life that you can, you can do, is take pride in a job done to the best of your ability. Work is a part of life, so try not to hate it. <laughs> It can be hard, but the truth is, when it's hard, it actually makes it more satisfying when it's done. It makes it easier to take satisfaction in that. And not only that, but hard work helps you to enjoy the simple things more. Taking satisfaction in your work helps you to appreciate the simple things, the first lesson. You know, food always tastes better after a hard day's work, right? If you've been working outside in the hot sun, a glass of water, it's a slice of heaven. And a movie, going to see a movie, is going to be a lot more exciting if you haven't spent the last three days on the couch watching TV, right? Doing the work makes you able to enjoy the simple things. All right, let's move on to lesson number three. So Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Did you hear that? Were you paying attention to that? Let's talk about that. Now, this is directed specifically towards a young man, but if you are not a man, and even if you are not particularly young, I think this advice is still for you. In fact, in the verse right before this, you might remember that the teacher said, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. So wherever you are on the journey of life, you are called to enjoy your life. And that means that the advice that the teacher is given here applies to you. This advice, advice of follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, I will summarize this with one word. If you're taking notes, this is point number three. Live. Live. And don't forget the exclamation mark. Live. This is a command from God. When the teacher says, follow the ways of your heart, he's saying, explore your interests. Follow your curiosity. Learn what you're good at and what you enjoy. Experience the world. Take in the sights and the sounds. Don't just sit around. Live your life. God has given you this gift. Live it. I think 
some of us, probably unconsciously, we assume that whatever we want to do, God probably doesn't want us to do it. You know, we can make the mistake of thinking, well, God wants me to do five things, probably five things. Pray, read the Bible, go to church, give to the poor, and probably to suffer, right? And then anything else we do is just time that's wasted that hopefully God will forgive us for. But that's not true. It's not true at all. Right? God created this diverse, rich, beautiful world, and he says, hey, what interests you? Explore it. Enjoy it. Experience it. Something that often happens to young people when they're trying to figure out God's will for their lives is they see God's will as this one specific path that they have to figure out, like a code that they have to crack. And then as soon as they figure out what it is, they feel like they, they need to, you know, walk down that very specific path. And so they're waiting to hear some kind of specific instruction from God on what their career is supposed to be and who they're supposed to marry and where they're supposed to live and all that kind of stuff. And they're afraid that if they make the wrong choice, well, it's going to be a sin and they'll be, they'll be outside of God's will for their lives. And I think older people have this issue as well. I just know I especially saw it a lot in young people when I worked in campus ministry. But there's a flaw in that kind of thinking, which is that God's typical way of working is not to just give us one righteous option. God's typical way of working is to give us a multitude of good options. And he says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Enjoy, explore, live. Remember when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, did he say to them, there's one tree that you can eat from, don't touch any of the rest. That's the eating tree, keep away from all the other ones. No, what he said was, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Just don't touch that one. Just one. And too often we think of God as being the kind of God who just doesn't give options, right? The kind of God who's more interested in restrictions than in opportunities. The kind of God who's, who, who just says no, not yes. A big, a big red light, never a green light. But God's not like that. Yes, yeah, sometimes he says no. Sometimes he calls us to do something that we don't really want to do. That's true. That's true. But he also says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Here's a multitude of good options. Here's a rich banquet. You may eat from any tree in the garden. Just not that one over there. Enjoy the world that I've created. Live. Now, of course, the teacher doesn't give us a license to just do anything. Right? He does caution us in the second half of the verse. He says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. In other words, we are going to have to answer for what we do with the freedom that God's given us, with what, what we do with this vaporous earthly life. Uh, did we use our freedom to cause harm? Did we use it to dishonor God and our neighbor? Did we use it to create more pain and injustice in the world? Well, We'll be judged for those things. But you know what we miss? There's something else that we're going to be judged for. Did we enjoy? Did we enjoy the gifts God gave us? Did we explore our talents and our interests? Did we really live? Or did we squander 
the gift of life that God gave us. If you don't think that that's implied in the judgment part of this verse, look at what comes next. Immediately after talking about God's judgment, the teacher says, so then, so then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now, you might be wondering, how does that follow from that? Well, part of the key to understanding this is to recognize that meaningless means like vapor, okay? So what the teacher is saying here is live fully now because youth is short, because life is short. So he talks about judgment, and then he says this. So the flow of thought here is you're going to be judged by God for how you've lived your life, so... Live your life fully while you can. That's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say, you're going to be judged by God, so be paralyzed with fear about making decisions and doing things. No, he says, you're going to be judged by God, so enjoy the life that he gave you. Live. And the point I see here is, is not what we usually expect to hear, and I think it's very interesting. It's we have a moral responsibility to enjoy our lives. We have a moral responsibility to enjoy life. God doesn't want our lives to be like a Christmas morning where the presents never got opened. Some lives are like that. God gives us gifts. He wants us to open them. He wants us to enjoy them. And one of the things we'll be judged for is, did we do that? Did we do that? So this brings me to the final lesson for us to learn today from these positive passages, which is this. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. Now, of course, we should remember our Creator no matter how old we are. But the teacher emphasizes the importance of remembering God in our youth because that's a time when many of us feel like we don't need to worry about Him. Uh, when I was in campus ministry for those six years, I heard over and over again students saying things like, Yeah, I think about God sometimes, but I don't really worry about God. I'll think, that's something I'll think about when I'm older. But the teacher says, don't do that, right? Remember God now. If you really want to be ready to face the trials of mortality and aging and all of the, the pain and difficulty that comes with that, you need to start preparing now. You need to start remembering your creator in your youth. Now, what does it mean to remember God? Well, at least three things. It means to remember his judgment Remember his commands and remember his salvation. Remember his judgment, remember his commands, and remember his salvation. Now, we already talked about judgment, right? To remember his judgment is to live knowing that this life you've been given is a gift and you're going to be held morally responsible for how you use it. But let's talk about remembering his commands. The second to last verse of Ecclesiastes says this. So this is very end of the book. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
Now, I realize that after all this talk I just did of encouraging us to live and follow our hearts, these final words here might seem kind of like a killjoy, like kind of restrictive, right? But what we need to realize is they're restrictive in the best sense of the word. If God really does care about us enjoying our lives as much as we've talked about this morning, then God's commandments don't exist to rob us of our joy, right? They're not there to hurt us. They're there to help us live as fully as possible. A lot of us recoil at the idea of God putting any restrictions or boundaries on the way that we live our lives, but we really shouldn't do that. You know, God's boundaries and his restrictions are a good thing. And the analogy I like to use, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me use this analogy before, is a game of tennis. Is a game of tennis worthwhile at all if it has no boundaries? I don't think so. What happens is the server, it's easy to hit a tennis ball. If you've ever played tennis before, you know it's easy to hit it really far. So if you're playing tennis without any boundaries, what's the server going to do? Just whack it as hard as they can. It's going to go sailing way above the other person's head. And that's the point for the server, right? And that's going to be the whole game. You're never going to have a volley. It's not going to be interesting. Nobody's going to turn on the TV to watch that, right? That's incredibly boring. See, it's the boundaries that make the game interesting. It's the boundaries that make the game come alive. And similarly, it's the boundaries that God gives us in our own lives, his commandments, that make our lives come alive and make them meaningful and interesting and worthwhile. So remember his commandments. And then finally, uh, we remember God by remembering his salvation. Salvation, that's kind of a churchy word, but it basically means remember that he offers to rescue us. That he's made a way for us to be rescued. And we all need to be rescued, every one of us. Ecclesiastes has done a great job of reminding us of that, right? Because it reminds us that we all long for something that the world can never give us, right? We long for permanence. We long for meaning, for eternity. But our lives are like vapor. Our work is like vapor. Everything is passing away. We long for something that's not vapor. And we can remember God's salvation because we know now that God has provided a solution to this existential crisis that we're in, right? Because through Jesus Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, we gain eternal life. We gain something that is not vapor. Because Jesus has defeated the power of sin and the power of death. And if we turn to him, if we trust in him, then we can share in his victory over these things. And to remember our creator is to remember that. It's to remember that Jesus has made a way for us to be saved from this harsh, vaporous, unjust life. I've talked a lot this morning about enjoying life. But I want to close with this point. Final thing for us to remember. If we want to enjoy life as much as possible, the best thing we can do is remember God. And what that means is remembering that he is the only source of true satisfaction. If we really want to enjoy life, we have to realize food cannot satisfy my soul. It's good, 
but it can't satisfy my soul. Drink cannot satisfy my soul. A romantic relationship cannot satisfy my soul. A nice vacation cannot satisfy my soul. And if we expect these kinds of things to satisfy our souls, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for a tragedy, right? Because, as Ecclesiastes says, all of these things are like vapor. They're all passing away, and our souls cannot be satisfied with vapor. We long for something permanent and eternal, and the only way that we find that is in God. But if we're not remembering God, what do we end up doing? We end up trying to satisfy our souls with the vapor. And it doesn't work, because even though vapor can be enjoyable, you can't build a house on it, right? If you look up at the clouds on a, on a sunny day, you can admire their beauty, and you can get enjoyment out of their beauty. I love looking at the clouds on a nice day. They're, they're beautiful. But don't try to stand on them. Right? You'll fall right through. They're not meant to be a foundation. They're not meant to hold you up. And I really think that that's a good metaphor for all earthly pleasures that we enjoy. There's beauty in them, for sure. And they can give us enjoyment, but they can't hold us up. Right? They can't satisfy our heart's longing for eternity and permanence. And if we try to make them do that, then we're not even able to enjoy them. I can enjoy a cloud for being pretty, but I can't enjoy a cloud as a foundation for my life. But when we remember God, when we find our soul's satisfaction in him and in his permanence, his commands, his salvation, then we're free to enjoy the things that he's made. Because we're not looking to food and drink for salvation, right? Then we're free to enjoy the vapor because we're not trying to build a house on it. So remember God. Then you can enjoy the simple things, you can take satisfaction in your work, and you can truly live, live, live. Let's pray. Lord God, all of us face challenges in life. You've talked about, through this book, how harsh life can be. But we recognize that no matter how hard it can be, that it is also a gift. And that it is good for us to try to enjoy it as much as we can. It's good for us to receive the simple pleasures of life with thanks and appreciation. It's good for us to take satisfaction in a job well done. And it's good for us to follow the ways of our heart, explore and enjoy, Lord. Help us to see that, not just as uh, something we want to do, but something that you want us to do, Lord. Help us to truly live, to live fully, and to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.